Hello, and welcome to Test Podagogy. This is the podcast which brings you everything that you need to know about teaching and learning, produced by the editors and writers at TES. We interview leading academics, start debates about pedagogy, and take deep dives into some of the big issues facing teachers today. This season will bring you a wealth of new guests who will all shine a light on their research and how it translates into the classroom. We'll also dig into our archive to bring you the best episodes on past seasons. These have all been chosen because they continue to have relevance for teachers today. I'm Kate Parker, a features writer at TES, and this week my guest is Dominic Wise. Wise, a former teacher, is a professor of early childhood and primary education at the UCL's Institute for Education. He's also the president of the British Educational Research Association and is the founding director of the Helen Hamlin Centre for Pedagogy. Why he specialises in primary literacy. And this year in particular, he has added to the discourse around how reading and writing is taught in schools. His paper on phonics attracted a lot of attention earlier this year, but today he's here to talk about grammar and the way it's taught within the national curriculum. Since 2014, the teaching of grammar, and in particular specific grammatical terms, has been part of England's national curriculum. However, in a paper published by the UCL and by the University of York, Wise and other academics argue that a specific approach to teaching grammar, called Englishus, did not provide enough robust support to suggest that extensive grammar teaching was the best way to improve writing. As a result, they've called for an in-depth review of the grammar requirements in England's national curriculum to ensure, in their words, that all pupils receive the teaching of writing they deserve. Here, Wise explains. When we, you know, when we got the results, um, we found that um, the Englishist approach, which is an approach about teaching the grammatical terms as well as about hopefully improving children's writing, um, when we tried it in an experimental trial, we found there was a small positive effect on what we call sentence generation, but it was not statistically significant. However, the effect size of that effect was sufficient for us to say this is um, encouraging. Uh, it sh- it's not that we should, we should, we couldn't ignore it. However, that was not the primary measure. And, and I don't mean primary school, I mean <laughs> first. The, the, the primary measure was narrative writing, a test of narrative writing. And, and because, of course, if the claim is that grammar teaching helps writing, then it indeed must help writing. Um, and unfortunately, there was almost no effect um, on this progress in, write, progress in English writing test that we used, which is a, a standardised measure. So that's our study. Uh, the, the, there are a lot more interesting aspects that's just the headline finding now you know the the teachers were doing really interesting things they really liked the intervention so our process evaluation uh, data and that's the qualitative side and that involved us you know we went to schools we observed grammar lessons the intervention lessons but we also uh, observed what we call business as usual you know the normal classroom teaching of grammar that enabled us to make comparisons about what was different as a result of the intervention, even though it didn't have an effect on the test. 
The research was funded by the Nuffield Foundation and took place over three years. Over the course of the study, 70 year two teachers and 1,736 pupils were involved. The project was inspired by previous research. Indeed, Wise himself has been researching writing in the classroom for many years. We know from previous research that formal grammar teaching has not had a positive impact on narrative writing. That's partly why we wanted to do the research, because nobody had tried the Englishious intervention. Nobody had done this kind of focus on uh, formal grammar teaching with six and seven-year-olds. So that's another reason we wanted to do it. And so there is one approach many years ago developed, I think, in the United States that's called sentence combining, and that has had a positive effect, but it's a very particular way of, it's not at all like the England, English National Curriculum Grammar. It's a very different idea, and it's, it's in brief, because it's quite a long booklet that, that you have to use. It's about manipulating sentences and phrases and words, but you get prompts in the, the kind of activities to do that. So it prompts the students, the pupils, the children to think about Oh, I need to move this, or I, or I, you know, I need to um, use this kind of word. So, anyway, that sentence combined. That's the only thing, the only approach to grammar teaching in the ways we're talking today that's been effective. However, there's also all the other studies that look at all other aspects of writing, um, which we, we maybe we'll get onto later. But. So yes, the main driver for this was we, we genuinely hoped and thought Englishers might have a positive effect. Naturally, on one level, we were disappointed that it didn't have even more of a positive effect, but we learned a huge amount, we think, by doing it. It's a complex area, and Wise is clear, children do need to learn to form grammatical sentences. However, it's the way in which this is taught, which he believes to be a problem. The debate is not about whether they need to. The debate is how can we most effectively help that? And so I think the problem for me is the nature of the grammar teaching. So let me give a little example. Teacher sits with a year two pupil. The writing is in front of them and the teacher wants to help the child with their writing and as it happens notices typically perhaps you might notice some non-standard or unconventional grammar use or or maybe a whole series of very simple sentences that maybe could be combined in some way, uh, changed just to make the writing achieve its purposes better. Now, when the teacher has that conversation with the child, that is grammar teaching, you know. And there are many other ways that, you know, I, I do think one of the strengths of Englishers um, that we discovered in the, the process evaluation was... The, the way, for example, the teachers could put text on a whiteboard, digital or otherwise, the kids could come up and manipulate language and they could talk about and think about, well, what effect does that have? Now, it's that manipulation, it's that use of language that's crucial to me, I think. The naming of parts, as it's sometimes called colloquially, but, but you know, this idea that we should be able to name a noun know what noun means is different. You know, it's, it's a technical... It, by the way, personally, I happen to find all that kind of stuff interesting because I'm fascinated by language. 
But what I'm more interested in is was how can we help, particularly those children who, who struggle with writing more than others, how can we help them write better? Um, and so the kind of grammar teaching in the national, that's expected in the national curriculum is not, in my view, and based on the evidence, is not the most appropriate way to do it. Do you see any benefits at all? Obviously, you know, you, sat, you found that small positive effect on sentence generation. Yeah. So are there, yeah, are there any benefits to, to kind of that focus on terms then? Well, that's where it's difficult for us to know, even with this well-conducted trial. Um, and it's where, where, of course, all research requires interpretation by the researchers and then ultimately by anyone who reads it. Um, I think the reason we got that encouraging effect on generating sentences, and, and that was under time conditions in the test, so that's different again. It's not, it's not in the context, actually, of ordinary writing. Um, but I think um, the ch what the course the children had to do was think in the, le sorry, in the English, le English as lessons, they had to manipulate words, phrases, sentences, and so on, as well as, yes, start to understand technical terms. So, and they also had to practice writing at the, typically at the end of the lessons. And the attempt was made to link the grammar teaching sensibly with what happened, you know, in practicing writing. So for me, I think it's the manipulation of real words and sentences that is the key probably to that encouraging effect. Um, and it, it linked, that links back to the thing I was saying about sentence combining. Um, Obviously, the practicing of writing was important because, strangely, it may be that uh, many children don't get much time actually to practice writing. They may do lots of exercises or they, you know, there's lots of other subjects. So the actual, you know, time to compose and write, writing for real purposes and as real audiences as we can generate may be less frequent than we think. Grammar is important, he stresses because knowledge about language really matters. And in this section, he explains why. He also explains why he thinks the national curriculum needs to be based on evidence for the good of teaching and learning. Actually, if you go back, go back a couple of decades, I'm afraid, um, where we had this idea called knowledge about language. And in fact, there was a, uh, a movement in England to there was the language in the national curriculum project, the link project. And I as a, actually, I was a teacher, I think, when, when I got involved with that. Um, but I think the focus of that was correct because, well, not, not 100%, but you know what I mean? I think overall, that was about saying, look, we need to help children reflect on language, analyze language, be interested in language. Uh, of, and, and the learning of technical terms is just one tiny bit of all of that. And by the way, you know, I would say I'd want uh, pupils, probably older primary, I'd want them to sort of understand the things about standard English. What do we mean by standard English? What do we mean by correct English? And when when is it, when do people inappropriately correct people? Uh, and this is, you know, a classic example would be, if you take oral language, some communities you, you, you use the kind of language that other people say, well, that's not correct. But of course, the main purpose of oral language is to communicate efficiently with the people that you're talking to. And if it does that, it works. Now, what I want pupils to learn is, 
Oral language is one thing, and then they need to learn that writing is more rule-bound. I mean, you, you can't, sadly, just, just, you, you can't write like you talk, you know, and so, uh, but that's, that's good language study. You know, that's the sort of um, knowledge about language I, I think is what kids really need to learn. It helpfully brings us into um, all the things to do with equity, equality, um, discrimination can be addressed in a non-threatening way as well, uh, but in an important way, because, of course, the idea that, that that people use language as a way of controlling others, you know, all this stuff, um, they sadly use language to be, you know, racist, sexist, and so on. We need to be aware of not just the overt language that, that sometimes used, but how, what are the subtleties? Now, we are maybe creeping away from six and seven year olds and, and, and going up to the older ages. But but nevertheless, the focus is how does how does language work? How does writing work? Uh, and of course, as you know, that that was um, just relating back to some research I did prior to this. You know, I was interested in much broader how does language work idea, particularly the English language um, as it happened. But but also how does the English language play out all around the world was part of what I was thinking about. And, and the book published by Cambridge University Press was How Writing Works. Um, and, and so I think what, what it boils down to is national curriculum writers, which, which of course are civil servants, but, but they're strongly guided by the ministers of education. Um, the choices are made. And we know we know that um, when this national curriculum was created, there was an expert panel that included Andrew Pollard and Mary James, who was, current, who was at the time president of the British Education Research Association. They were invited by Michael Goes to advise, and then they resigned, all by one of them resigned, because they felt that the direction the national curriculum went did not reflect the research evidence more generally. And so what we're adding here is we're adding a new study that says we think in the area of grammar teaching, in the area of more importantly teaching writing, um, it, it's just not close enough to the evidence. And, it, and it's why, you know, we're calling for a review of the national curriculum. And I, I kind of can almost hear teachers' hearts sinking because there's a legitimate sort of feeling that we do change these things rather frequently. Well, my great new idea is don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's evolve it. Let's be sensible professional people. And let's say this works, this works. No, 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 we need to change this, you know. Um, and and then, you, then you could evolve it. And uh, by the way, I, I, I must say something about the way I'm involved with, in Ireland, they are, they've taken a long view on this. So not since 1999 have they made a, um, a complete revision of their primary national curriculum, and they are doing it now. And I'm one of four academic advisors, but the way they're doing it is brilliant. It's absolutely research-informed. They've got academic advisors on the, you know, working with the curriculum authority. They're taking years to do it, and they're properly consulting. That's so different to the way England has gone about it, and I have knowledge of how things have been done in Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, just to name countries on our doorstep as well. So, so there's much, I think, 
we could do better in genuinely getting an evidence-based, yes, of course, people have, a, have the right to say what they want their national curriculum to be, um, and not everyone can have everything they want. So yes, there's, there's a democratic job to be done as well, but it, but it must be more evidence-based. It really has to be. Away from the politics of the national curriculum and back into the classroom then, Wise talks about the best way to improve children's writing according to the evidence. Well, I think one has to begin with the overall nature of, of writing itself. So we want to consider things like, well, writing is done with particular readers in mind. Some people call this audience, which perhaps is an unusual term in a sense, but but you know, and then we also need to think about purposes. So different kinds of writing serve different kinds of purposes. So I think that and children need to practice. They, they need to practice writing. They need to practice different kinds of writing. And for each of those kinds of writing, which some people call genres of writing, or we might say forms of writing, I think what's important is the teachers spend time helping children discuss, look at, read, engage with really good examples of the particular form of writing you want to teach. And too often, like if you, if, you know, typically in schemes, so you've got a writing scheme, when they have examples, they're not real. They're obviously, you know, made to look as reasonably real, but they're not real. So, so if we're doing, you know, story writing, then we do want to be thinking about the books the children are reading in class, putting the sort of analytical mind and saying, how, how does the author achieve whatever effect they're trying to achieve? And how do they build characters? <clears throat> how do they start a piece of writing and, you know, and so on? And children do need to compose properly. I think too often the co composition in writing is promised and then very rarely do they actually get that chance to genuinely compose, occasionally making choices perhaps about precisely what they want to write about and what form. <clears throat> the other bit of this is emphasising the processes of writing. This is one of my big um, things I've committed to over the years because I really think the evidence is there. <clears throat> and I experienced this as a teacher and I made, it, it worked for me as a teacher all those years ago. And that's another strand to the, to the thinking I bring. And it, in, in simple ways, it's about genuinely helping the children understand that writing is not typically a one-off thing. Yes, it can be if, if it's a, a quick text message or tweet, dare I say. But writing is also something that often has to be crafted. It goes through drafts. At the very least, it gets planned, even if that planning is just in your mind thinking about it. So we emphasize processes. I think that's really important. And they, they, and the communication of meanings. I mean, it's all about, in the end, it's all about communicating meanings in the form that you've chosen to use. And none of this is to neglect the importance of the what some people call the skills or the transcription side of writing, also absolutely essential. You know, you, you can't write properly if you can't spell using standard English. You can, if you can't form grammatical sentences, you're not, you're not writing. Um, and then endless things, as we know. I mean, you know probably as well, well of course you do, because you're a writer. You know, we never stop learning. I'm still learning, and I've written, I think it's 24 books now, something like that. Uh, 
But every time I sit down, especially with something where I'm trying to break new ground, it, I find it hard, you know, and, and I, I can write. <laughs> and there are some things I can't write, you know. So I, I think those are probably, I mean, and then we could, you can go into endless detail and depth, but those for me are the, that's the way to be thinking about writing mainly. A good example of this craft and process that Wise talks about was published on TES just last week. Katie Packman, a head of English in a middle school, was inspired to change her approach to writing in the Key Stage 3 after completing an MA in creative writing herself. In the MA, the adult students were given the opportunity to workshop their ideas, whether that be a book, a play or a poem. They had dedicated time to draft and redraft their writing, and they also had one-to-one feedback sessions with the tutor. Packman took this approach into her own classroom and now teaches key stage writing in this way. As a result, the students are engaged and exciting, she says. According to Wise, this is exactly the sort of thing that teachers should look to introduce in their own classrooms. There was a guy called Donald Graves. This, we're going back now. We're going back to the 70s and 80s, 1970s, 1980s. And he proposed um, the process approach to writing. When he got called that, he proposed to cut the book, very popular book, short that what you need to do is have writing workshops at least once a week. And in those workshops, what you're trying to do is kind of create a publishing house in the classroom. I'll put it like that. But but yes, what happens is the children know they have to write. They know that they can choose most of the time what to write. Of course, you help those who struggle to make choices and so on. Uh, And typically those things they're writing get published and in the old days, we used to literally sew books, like make books by sewing together and using artwork. These days, the digital world would be amazing, wouldn't it? You know, And of course, you do need, even in the digital world, see, these books become part of the, the reading area of the primary classroom. And the kids then, of course, love reading, critiquing and reading each and laughing, you know, at certain things in, in each other's work. Um, so, and then when children make choices, you learn so much about them that you don't normally learn. But they're also, Graves was very clear. He, he said something like, children who don't learn to make choices are missing out basically on a massive part of writing. Now, I'm not advocating, I never did advocate that that would be all the time. And in fact, one, this early piece of research I was telling you about when I was still a teacher, um, I looked in more depth at how three teachers used the process approach, but they also used other things like task setting in the more traditional way. They developed skills um, by, because of course what happens is you really learn the, the levels that your children are at because they're literally showing you what they can do and they're trying to find their way wrestling with these ideas they want to communicate. And so then what you do is you say, well, it seems to me there are quite a few children who need this particular skill, and then you run mini lessons, as Grace called them. So now let me um, skip forward because probably not got the was for me a sort of revelatory moment in my classroom. I, I am going to tell this story, and uh, you can do what you will with it. But because I like as a, as a newly qualified teacher, my first job was in London, in a, a rough area that sort of called Summers Town, and it was uh, behind, sort of between Euston and King's Cross. 
you know, uh, deprived area. And I found that class having, I did, I had teaching practices where I was working in similar areas in London, but I found that particular class the most challenging um, I'd ever taught. Uh, and in many ways, the most enjoyable as well, you know, and this is the, the teacher's dilemma, isn't it, in a way. Anyway, I was always keen on writing. I studied it a little bit at Goldsmiths for my teacher training, uh, and I was diligently planning what I thought were interesting writing activities, but I could tell the kids were not really engaged. I then went to the wonderful Inner London Education Authority um, Basically, I had half a day a week, you know, professional development. And one of those advisory teachers said, have you seen Donald Graves' book? And that, I honestly, the next, I, I said on Monday, because <laughs> say I read it over a weekend, on Monday, I will utterly change the way I teach writing. And I started doing writing workshops and it utterly transformed the kids' motivation for writing. And instead of sort of looking at me with a slightly crestfallen face, oh no, not writing again. They said, when are we doing writing workshop? Clearly, teachers have to follow the national curriculum. They can't ditch teaching specific grammatical terms altogether. But there are other key takeaways that WISE would encourage them to look at embedding in their classroom. It's all about communicating meaning. That's why we do it. And, and, and it's all about that, okay? And everything else has to serve that. And it does make a difference. So if a teacher has in mind that all, all that matters is correctness, then that they, in my view, they won't be teaching writing as effective as they could be. Practicing writing every day, to be honest, you know, there's no particular way that people should practice. We, we've, we've, you've, you feature many good examples, um, diaries, journal writing. Um, we've talked about writing workshops. Just exciting writing tasks that are about whole pieces of writing, but genuinely trying to give pupils as much real writing, I'll, I'll call it, as possible. I've mentioned the importance of analysing appropriate texts that are appropriate for children to look at, but they need to understand how they work, not just enjoy the messages, which, of course, they should do as well. Um, now, I do think some technical terms are important. And it's interesting, isn't it? If you think about everyday language, I think it's fair to say that we will use the term sentence, which is a technical term and actually rather complicated, what a sentence actually is. And we'll use terms like comma, for example, word, letter. Now, those terms are important because if a teacher is teaching a child, it's very difficult to help them if you can't refer to things like, well, that word you've used there or that paragraph later on or, you know, text itself, you know, is an interesting word. So I'm not against, you know, technical vocabulary at all. It's just that um, it has to be the vocabulary that's genuinely useful and every day. If you get into things like nouns, verbs and so on, you're doing a different thing. I think you're, it's, it's, to many people, very interesting, and that's fine, but you're, you're becoming linguists and not the kind of linguists that I think teachers and children need to be. Um, but that's going slightly off the point. Um, I think the other thing for me is um, primary school teachers are degree holders, more than one degree, you know. Um, they've had to write, typically. Um, 
they have sufficient knowledge from their education about many aspects of writing. So they should be able to, to help children very well based m mainly on the knowledge they already have. I, I do wonder if sometimes the education system helps us almost to feel a lack of confidence about what we genuinely bring to the primary classroom. Um, and maybe there is a need, especially at the moment, for much more, you know, recognition of, of, of a lot of stuff that your average teacher brings to the job. Now, of course, I've been talking about specific techniques that we think can help, and that's the subject of professional development. But I think the teachers then also need to be genuinely reflective about language, and uh, and that is a different mindset. That's the mindset that I think will help them if they are curious. And by all means, actually, these curiosities, I would often open them out into, they become activities. You know, a kid would say, well, have you noticed how, that, that word? You know, I've heard that word. Or look at the way those two words are similar. Or, I'm, or other kids saying, well, in, in the language I speak at home, we, we use grammar. You know what I mean? Endless um, fascinating things that can become the focus of, of classroom exploration. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Test Podcogy. Please join us again next week. This episode of Tez Podagogy was written and hosted by Kate Parker. If you're enjoying the Tez Podagogy podcast, I'm sure you'll also enjoy our Tez Research Series booklets. Right now, you can get a free copy of the Tez Research Series Volume 1, which includes 60 pages of interviews with acclaimed academics, whenever you purchase a paid resource from Tez Resources from the 22nd through to the 28th of March. Head over to Tez Resources now to take advantage.